musical theatre as a black performer, the allure of burlesque and drag, and what this year's Pride means to model and activist Milo Hartill. We're Maggie and Jasmine, and you're listening to Culture Club, and this is our monthly interview with a person we find interesting, and we think you will too. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we live, work, and record this podcast. We would like to pay our respects to Elders past, present, and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. You may have seen her repping Frank Body on the queer performance stages of Melbourne and Perth or at the Black Lives Matter protests. But now we're sitting down with the powerhouse that is Milo Hartill. Represented by Bella and Vivians, Milo is a 20-year-old Botswanan Australian creative all-rounder. She is a self-described fat and queer content creator, burlesque and drag performer, and is currently studying a Bachelor of Musical Theatre. Welcome, Milo. Hi, Milo. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi. I'm really happy to be joining you both as well. Just before we start, I'd love to ask what your pronouns are. Mine are she, her. Thank you so much for bringing this discussion to the table. My pronouns are she, her. My pronouns are also she, her. Beautiful. A room full of she's. Hers. She's <laughs> the hers and the hers. Is, is, is. Lovely. Alrighty. So for someone who has no idea who you are or what you do, how would you describe yourself? Um, Mrs. Fat Bitch is where I'd start. Uh, fat, black, queer, performer and activist and mainly Black Lives Matter advocate, which is a role I accidentally fell into mm-hmm. like a year ago, which what a crazy time that it's like I keep on getting memories come up in my mm. Instagram and my Snapchat of me just like beginning to lose my mind because people are like, wait a minute, black people go through racism? That sucks. <laughs> and I was like, we're coming, okay, 2020 and okay, you better work. <laughs> you better work. Mm, We've just got like time this. that was. Truly. God. Um, also a model here and there. Jump around in the, you know, you might catch me on a danger field. He comes here and there, mm-hmm. you know, if you ever mm-hmm. in the plus size section, you see this old face right in there. Um, yeah, I don't know. How do I describe myself? Everything and nothing, just an enigma. <laughs> an enigma, Milo the Enigma. Love it. Love that as a label. Thank you. <laughs> so I think I first encountered you through your modeling work. So I would love to know, can you tell us a story about how you first got into modeling as a, especially a plus size person of color? Well, I really fell into it because I grew up in Perth, Western Australia, which, you know, maybe the sixth, sixth most livable, livable city this year. Mm, that I um, Beat Melbourne. Mm, I I shocking. You can see why. <laughs> I mean, you know what? No comment. I grew up there. I just, you know, it's it's got its perks. It's got its losses. But it is a livable city at the moment. But as a young fat black queer person, wasn't the most encouraging place to grow up as a performer or a model. Um, So, like, I never grew up being like, I'm going to do the modelling thing because the only other girls I knew who modelled at my high school were really, really thin and really, really white. And then even, like, 
like in the because I perform as a burlesque performer as well and do a lot of drag stuff. There was no fat black women in the queer performing arts scene in Perth and then on the stage I mean Aladdin was one of the last shows I can remember in Perth and that had an almost all white cast that just had really big fake tans on no I can remember going into the crown to see it and there was fake tan stations and I was like okay no so yeah not the most encouraging place but I moved over and in a night of YOLO shaved my head um and then I was out and about and I met I met a model whose name is Jazz um, and she looked really, really similar to me. And I was like, you are one of the most beautiful people I've ever seen and you model, like for real? And she was like, yeah, girly. And I was like, people who look like us are allowed to do that? And she's like, yeah, what do you mean? And I was like, all right, I'll take my 18-year-old Perth butt and just mm. ponder in that. And then I happened to meet my then agent just out and about and he was like, you should apply. And I told my mum about it and I was like, oh, my God. Like I didn't believe it was an actual thing. I was like, oh, my God, lol, you're never going to guess what happened to me. And my mum was like, just send me a picture of his card. And I was like, okay, and I sent a picture. And then the next day she was like, you have a meeting at like 2 p.m. on Friday you need to go to it and I was like you did not submit me you bitch and she was like I did love you hope you're having fun in Melbourne from mama jar mama jar she is she's not really like she just is like do what you want but she was like just YOLO it it's like the worst Mm. thing that can happen is you don't get signed and then I went had all those meetings and ended up getting signed and now I do this thing and the even funnier thing is that the model that I met called Jazz she was with that agent as well and I didn't find out until after I got signed I was like that is meant to be I love stories like that where it like comes full circle I feel like it feels like a real fate moment when things like that happen it was just like oh I like when I signed with the agency like I went on their Instagram and the first picture was a picture of her in a Frank Body ad which is also one of my most like my one of the bigger campaigns for me Mm -hmm. that really skyrocketed that career for where I'm at now yeah yes, we've all seen your tushy we love it <laughs> has sold me some Frank body products just oh, because she's the money maker she's the money maker <laughs> can't wait to get her insured one day <laughs> so earlier you touched on being a burlesque performer which is quite a unique hobby so what do you love about performing and like how did you get into that whole world, especially drag as well? I feel like I've always just firstly like came out as bi like in year 12. Did I come out in year 12? God, that feels like so long ago now. Well, you know, when you have one of those moments where you're like, oh, my God, I'm becoming Getting a real old. adult person, not just a fake mm. one. Ew. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> We're getting ready for tax time soon. I'm like, oh, oh no, oh, it's not the same when, like, when you get your mum to do it. You just type into my gov and then she does it. No, I don't live there. I have to do it. Call mum, get her on Facetime. My mum still helps me. I mean, granted, I still live at home, but I, there's no performing arts in Perth. Anyway, anyway, I was, I have always like grown up in the queer community and loving queer people. Like, I live in a very gay friendly house and 
my lovely auntie is lesbian and I've always had that in my life and you know as as a lot of queer kids do started watching like drag race and stuff and I was like these are my people (laughs) I get this this is the kind of jokes that I make but nobody at school gets it (laughs) and I started going out when I was 17 and um, (laughs) started going to queer and gay clubs and I was like oh like this is my place and then it got to a few of my friends started performing when I was still in Perth and like I've always been a performer I went to a like performing arts high school um but in Perth I just was like oh there's I can't really perform here there's no there's there's no one who remotely looks like me and like well that was so subconscious as well like in hindsight I've only realized that I never realized that until you know it's like one of those things I feel like a lot of people of color like you don't realize the things that you tell yourself you can't do until one day someone's like why can't you do it or the first time you see someone who looks like you and you're like oh my god I've never seen that before wow Mm. Um, but I moved to Melbourne and started you know what to be honest it was just me at 18 just at the club's if there was a free podium, I'd be up there lip syncing <laughs> for my life. And, and bloody, I don't know if you guys know Baby Slut, but she is a drag queen from Melbourne. And she came up to me at Puff Doof once and was like, all right, Miss Thing, don't be doing all that for free. <laughs> Come perform with us. And I was like, oh, okay, work. And also the lovely people at Femme Fantasy who are another performing group were like, like the exact same thing happened, but at Circuit, like I was just – lips I was lip syncing for my drink which is just like a little competition they do at Molly's where you just get a free drink and they were like don't do that for a drink come do it with us I was like okay um and then all those performances happened and I was really lucky to do Midsummer Festival and like the more I did it I was like oh like I like other things not just straight laced normal theatre and musical theatre but then COVID hit and I went back to Perth and I was like oh well that was a nice few months in my life and then this is a very long-winded story but I'm getting there <laughs> but we for a uni assignment we had to cut, like do at-home music videos that was inspired by our time in lockdown and during COVID and this was like when it had just started as well who like probably would have been a lot different had they done it at the end of last year it would have been a bit sadder but at the start this was like May of last year and we had to have someone host the event and I was like oh my god we should have Miss Rona host the event and (laughs) everyone's like what and I was like I've just been doing this character that I think is coronavirus and you know she's a she's a wild woman from from New York and she just likes to spread herself around and she's crazy and she's oh no she likes to come get dinner with you and then that developed into me making a striptease based around Miss Rona and then and then I like that was great that was fun didn't really think about that again and then one of my friends from Perth called Bibi Babau she is a drag queen wanted this was also while Black Lives Matter was happening like well this is when it hit Perth we were about two months behind um and Perth it's always a little bit behind (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah that thing that's happening Literally, <laughs> we caught wind that 
a couple of white drag queens we knew were going to do, were going to perform WAP when it first came out. And we were like, mm. oh, absolutely not. That's ours. So we learned the curry and went and performed that at a competition, won the competition, and then an event called uh, Oddball 2020 Vision, which one of my best mates was coming up, and he was like, oh, my God, you know, it would be perfect for 2020 Vision, Miss Rona, if she came and was a part of that. And then that really blew up and that went really well and then just went on from there. I don't know. It was just I very much fell into it. But then through burlesque I felt really proud to be able to represent big bodies on stage, especially like, you know, with a nipple pasty and a G string mm-hmm. on because like it's not like, you know, like when, when I do modelling stuff, like, you know, you pose and you're showing off the product and like I still feel like I'm representing bigger bodies there. But in a picture you don't see like my mm. jiggle and like you don't necessarily get to see all of my curves and my fat rolls and like my whole body like that. Whereas I think in burlesque, like you're so exposed that you there's not really much you can hide behind. And that also means that people viewing it like get to see all of it. And I think being able to represent bigger bodies in that platform is so wonderful because bigger people are beautiful and I think that gets overlooked so often and also is like like even with fashion week seeing the lack of plus size representation there like you know they were like oh we had 12s to 14s like that's enough (laughs) it was really lean really like one of my friends Basha she released a statement recently about how she was one of the main points of representation and I mean she is bigger than a straight lace size six model but she's still really fit doesn't have a belly like the one of the most toned people I've ever seen in my life like that woman's body is made of fucking rock (laughs) and like that's that's what we see as representation of bigger people and I I don't know I just like how exposing it is and therefore liberating and also confronting to some people like Mm -hmm. some people are like oh my god I've never seen someone be confident who's like like the amount of times I get you are so brave and I'm like (laughs) we need to cut that narrative I'm not brave because I got naked I'd be brave if I like jumped off the stage backwards but (laughs) I'm just literally standing here shaking my titties. There's not much bravery. <laughs> oh <right. my> goodness. <laughs> but unfortunately it is seen as brave because of the lack of representation and how there's such a small amount of bigger burlesque drag, musical theatre, theatre, et cetera, the zeitgeist of performers that are bigger is like so small that anyone who's big does anything slight that's not hiding and eating in private. People are like, you are so brave for being in public. That's amazing. How do you get the confidence? I wish I could be as confident as you. Heard that one a million times. Uh, I literally am just like. like <laughs> That's not know. the compliment you think it is, honey. <laughs> literally, I'm like, I'm like, I know you didn't say that to be rude, but I'm struggling to take it any other way. <laughs> I want to also go back to your burlesque. Burlesque is that even burlesque. a word? <laughs> 
Burlesque. Embarrassing. Well, that's the thing because I've actually never seen a burlesque show. So can you walk <gasps> us through what a t- I know, like I deserve that reaction, but can you walk us through what it typically looks like for a like for one of your performances? Oh, I mean, there's so many, like the world of burlesque is so wide, but I feel like I do a lot of neo burlesque, which is like like take takes on some classic but is very modernized like I feel like a lot of classic burlesque is to like which Miss Rona is Miss Rona is done to the stripper with me doing audio and vocals over the top in my Brooklyn accent but um like I do a a burlesque very regularly at Hey Henny at Circuit um to Juicy by Doja Cat and that's all I'm like start dressed up as a peach and then and then I do a little bit of a reveal and then we go oh, and then it's a bit of a peach pasty. But I think it really differs from performer to performer, but I think it's like stripping back those layers and revealing a part of yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that's so beautiful about burlesque and about any performance where you reveal layers is it's so like, oh, it's a bit of a tease. And it's also so, it's like, I think it's revealing a part of yourself to an audience and that's really like it creates such a strong bond between you and an audience member. Mm-hmm. Like the minute you start taking things off, it's like, oh, wow, you're really trusting us enough to do that. That's cool. Oh, I never forget seeing um, Betty Bombshell, who's a very popular burlesque performer for the first time in Perth and I was like, this is the best thing I've seen in my life. Mm-hmm. That was also like, you know, baby, baby gay Milo, like, Oh my god. Nick lady. Woo! Pride. <laughs> but it differs. If you want if you want to get down to the nitty-gritty of what my performances look like, you can catch me at Hey Henny on Thursdays, every last Thursday and first Thursday of the month. Oh yes, definitely. So we kind of want to go back to um, the social issues you were talking about before being a BLM advocate. One recent example, um, but you called out the all-white cast of a new Melbourne production. Why are things like that very important for you to speak about on your personal Instagram and the platform that you have? I think, I mean, firstly, like, it's important for me to call those things out just on a personal level. Like it's hurtful, I think, growing up seeing, for me, like seeing a lot of musicals and theatre and musical theatre and films and TV shows and even advertisements, products that you look for online and there's not one person that looks like you. It's like, are there any stories that are for me? Is there any is there any media that wants me to feel like I'm welcome to come, welcome to be in it and is representing me? And I think like studying musical theatre has really shown me how difficult it is to get rid of that imposter syndrome as a person of colour as there aren't that many black, brown, indigenous, any people of colour that are teaching, not heaps that you see on the stages until last year when people were like, this is ridiculous. And I think keeping that conversation up is really important, calling it out on my personal platforms because, I mean, that is a year on from this massive explosion and there was a big drama that happened within the musical theatre world 
with the Rob Guest Endowment having their top 30 be all white and that Mm. is a really big competition that happens every two years now I think in the musical theatre world and that came out two, three months after the protests began happening Australia-wide. That happened after everyone called out how white the cast lists were that were coming out for musicals and for theatre. And for this to happen a year on, it's like just shows how important it is to carry on talking about these issues and how important it is to make your own voice heard because I don't think that producers, casting agents, modelling agents, et cetera, et cetera, on down the list are going to care enough to change anything until people keep on making their voices heard and really like you know advertisements coming out tv shows coming out like they need us the buyer the per- the viewer to want to watch it to want to engage with it and if we voice that you know there's a massive percentage of the population that is unhappy with how this casting is going unhappy with how ad campaigns are going unhappy with the product then something will change and i mean there has been such a big shift and i think I mean, that doesn't go without recognising, like there are so many more people who are people of colour who are just as talented as the white person next door that are finally getting booked. But I think it could also really easily slip back into that being an obscurity if people don't continue to talk up and when classes like that come out, don't say anything. And, I mean, that also, so that show originally... I'm talking about The Who's Tommy as well, which is a Mm. musical that Victorian Opera is putting on. And that they had a massive opportunity there because they had to recast half of the cast from the original cast list that got announced in, I can't remember if it was end of 2019 or start of 2020 when it first got announced, but they had an original cast. COVID hit. A lot of those people who were in the cast got rebooked for other shows and then they recently re-auditioned and that is such a lost opportunity, Mm. such a lost opportunity. And I know a couple of people of colour who auditioned for that who didn't get cast in it and I'm like, so the people were there, we just chose not to cast them, hire them, employ them. Ridiculous. Embarrassing. Are they Mm. not embarrassed? <laughs> I've got two things to pose to you after hearing that. First, do you are you ever worried about speaking out about your own industry? Do you ever think about how it might impact, I guess, your possible um opportunities? And then second to that, how do you keep your mental health in check when you're always fighting these fights? Like how how are you inside after being so vocal, I guess? I think I was firstly with mental health really lucky that I was at home when Black Mm. Lives Matter and all that hit the first time because I think if I had been by myself in lockdown, like a lot of people last, uh, there were so many people who were alone in Melbourne in lockdown and I checked in on them as often as I could because I was like, if I was in Melbourne right now, Mm. I would not be going okay. Mm. And that I also like last year, like started like went on antidepressants which was something that I'd been putting off and started doing therapy and I I think that god with all this shit going on all this absolute fuckery (laughs) in so many realms of life uh, you just gotta go and sort your shit out if you need it and give yourself space like I a, a big way I 
shifted a lot of my negative thoughts to do with race and my ethnicity was like changing the people I followed on Instagram, like cutting out anybody who didn't chose to not participate in the conversation, followed a lot more black, fat, queer people on my profiles, which has really done wonders for my like self-esteem as well, like seeing other people who I think are beautiful who look like me or not even look like me but like have something in common with me shifted so much of how I saw myself and also like actively trying to speak to and be involved with other people of colour. I mean going to a lot of the protests as well helped me make friends who were on the same page as me with um, Black Lives Matter and everything that was going on. Yeah, I feel like I feel like a lot of people last year had a lot of rejigs in who they were friends with. Oh yeah, and, like, the amount of people I cut off who I used to go to school with. Who I was like, mm-hmm. how did I used to be friends with? How were we ever friends? I don't understand how that happened. Especially when all the Rob Guest stuff happened and people at the last drama school I went to, I was in the group chat like, so is anybody going to say anything? And then silence for a day. And then the next day someone was like, hey, does someone have sheet music for this song? And I was like, oh, <laughs> no. I was like, oh. Stop it. Oh, we're like fully, okay, all right. <laughs> uh, they really said black lives do not matter. They, no, said, they yeah. said, hold that thought. I need sheet music. <laughs> so it's clear that they didn't, they're not willing to speak out for what's right because of they're the benefiting. risky approaches to the opportunity and they are benefiting, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're benefiting from it. Like I am the only person of colour in my class this year um, mm. and I was one of three people of colour at the last drama school I went to in my year and we had a class of 26. So like... You know, I was, I mean, I, I remember posting on my story last year, like, like, I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised none of you are posting about this because why on earth would you want me to be seen, getting seen for auditions? Because if they see me for the role, I'm probably going to get it and you're not. Mm. <laughs> because if they start looking past white mediocrity, then <laughs> God knows the talent they might discover and people were like, <sighs> I don't think you're not going to get the role and I'm not. And I was like, all right, Miss Thing. I was like, well, if, if that's the case, then speak up for it because nothing's going to change if, like, you think that you're talented than every person of colour. So, like, why would you not fight for it? You can look like a good person and still get the role. <laughs> because we both, but we both know that's not the truth. <laughs> that ain't the truth. Our last interviewee, actually, it's funny, we've had a bit of a theatre theme, I guess, but our last interviewee was Eve Blake, the creator of Fangirls, Um, and she also had a very diverse cast of that, which we, Maggie and I both found so refreshing to watch. It was so great, and it wasn't tokenistic at all. It wasn't like ticking boxes. It felt so genuinely diverse, and And they're the people who are making the change. What a talented talent pouring off the stage james meduse i could watch them just do anything i'm obsessed with james exactly i follow them online on online on (laughs) on the instas (laughs) and on the book like i love yeah yes on the gram of insta yes i I love their things yes yes (laughs) but like that cast 
it's just like imagine if every cast was like that. I know. And there were still white people in it. White people still got their representation. Like ugh. the mum. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I just, yeah. I don't know. What was the first part of that question? I went on a mental health. Oh, yes. Wow. Are you worried about the risk to your job? Oh, yeah. I think it's always like a small part of me. It's like, oh, this is risky. But I'm like, anyone who's not going to hire me as a result of me speaking out for what's right isn't someone that I want to work for anyway. And ultimately, if I did end up working for them, then they would very quickly come to not want to hire me again anyway because I'm not going to just idly stand by when people are doing injustices to me and so many other people. And I think it would be more of a detriment to my mental health if I didn't say anything. Like I think back to when I was in the sunken place, when I was at uh, the last drama institution I was at, and I didn't think it affected me, like, being a person of colour. I was like, that's fine, I don't care, like, whatever. And as all these conversations started coming up, like, God, the amount of times I would think back to things I allowed people to say to me and things that I that I stood by and let happen and things that other people stood by and allowed to happen, I would just cry and mm. think, like, fuck, I, maybe if I had have said something then, we wouldn't be having this convers wouldn't be having this conversation now. Three years later, from when I was there, and mm-hmm. four years later from when I was at high school, and almost ten years on from when I was in an all white other than me production of Mulan. You know, it's like far <laughs> out. It was me like oh my god. It was it was something else, and I remember being like. Oh, but they were like, Milo, it's fine. You're playing Mushu. Mushu's black. And I was like, I guess. Uh, oh, I don't know. And like, I mean, in high school, there was a production of Hairspray and I didn't get in. And they had what? they had the, the black people wear black shirts. And no. the, yeah. <laughs> That's the whole premise of the story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my well, God. Well, I mean, the amount of... The amount of white dudes I know who played seaweed and I'm like, all right, all right, girl. It just loses all <laughs> meaning and context. Mm. Yeah. God. I just, Ugh. yeah. I think sometimes <laughs> I, I worry. But it's like very embarrassing. Oh, my God. Um, someone mentioned it the other day and I was like, I don't think I would go telling anybody else that now. I think I just would. Tell, just tell all our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> I think we'll just, I think we should bookshelf that one. Uh, I was like, unless somebody brings it up, I don't think I'd be, I think I'd be bragging about it. Um, I think like as well, a lot of people are beginning to take accountability now. Like Now that so many people have rallied together and are beginning to call these things out, I am hoping that, you know, places like Vic Opera will realise that it's not, personal like it's not personal at all it's it's personally a little bit offensive but it's not like I've got a vendetta against Vic Opera and you know all of the other almost all white cast that have come out like I don't have a vendetta against Aladdin or anyone who is in Aladdin like a job is a job everybody wants to get hired I get that but it is a demand to do better in the future and a demand to 
do better from now on, not in a couple of years' time, but from now on. Of mm. course. Definitely. And I think as well, like even like calling out things in the modeling industry, a lot of times, like, I mean, I call, I've, been, I've been calling out everyone in the last year and it's not even calling out, it's calling in because I mm. want to be, I want to work with people like Vic Opera. Mm, yeah. I want to be working with the producers of Aladdin. I want to mm. be working in all of the queer clubs in Perth and Melbourne. I want to be being able to use my voice and my personality and my body and what I represented as a person. I want that to be working with people and making these connections. But if the door's closed, then there's no way I can I can even start that conversation. And it's a call in as well so that other fucking phenomenally talented people of colour that I know that aren't getting hired because they're not even getting an audition, aren't even getting to a casting, so that they can use their bodies and their beings to be able to tell stories, model, perform, etc. in the future. Um, mm. And a lot of times calling people out has resulted in building an even stronger relationship. Like I did a call out with Frank Body last year being like, hey, mm. are you guys going to say anything about Black Lives Matter? Um, you know, I really loved working with you. I really enjoyed that. But it was disappointing to see that you haven't said anything. And straight away I had a phone call with them and I was like really pleased to be asked to do a story on what people can do next. And like I did, I worked, was able to use Frank Body's platform and I've had got such a lovely relationship with them and that company now and work with them so much. And the amount of diversity that's come in from that and the amount of other jobs I've been really lucky to get from that. Like last year, Maggie and I both did Converse and that was so yes, much Yes, we fun. did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, full stop. Oh, that's my thoughts on that's, that. <laughs> that's so good to hear though. We're glad to hear that not all brands are in it just to be performative or just for like a one-off moment, but they're here to perhaps actually like support and uplift you. And currently it is Pride Month and I know that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So we would love to know what does this mean to you and also what's your personal journey if you'd like to share of being queer? How does that look like? Um, what does Pride Month mean to me? Uh, busy. <laughs> <laughs> what does Pride Month mean to me? Busy. I um, I think Pride has really shifted for me this year, purely due to like that intersectionality of Pride and Black Pride specifically, and trying this year to really continue educating myself on the fight that a lot of Black trans queer people began in the origins of pride that we as Australians and a very Mm. Americanised place where a lot of our beginnings of pride came from and trying as well to learn a lot more about our Australian queer community. I think that firstly a lot of like pride for a lot of people is, you know, mostly white gay men on a pride float and that's that. (laughs) Pride is so much more than that. And, I mean, as much as that partying element of pride is so wonderful to be a part of and getting to meet so many other queer people is fucking campus tits. Love that shit. (laughs) But there's so much more to pride and how pride came about. So I think that's really important to me. And I think as well with my own journey of pride, 
and and being queer a lot of that started from you know I think a lot of people's I've, I've been very lucky to start in a place of queerness and being by coming being something that really supports me I think it makes up such a big part of my personality and I've been very lucky to grow up in a family that's pretty supportive so I've never had to be ashamed of it or felt ashamed of being queer yeah I think that being queer for me has been a place where I am really proud and where I can flourish and that I know I'm being surrounded by like-minded people and I think as well as a part of that I was like I you know a lot of people have got some not so pretty coming out stories but you know I came out to my mum and we were eating like takeaway and then she was like okay you know we all knew right and I was like (laughs) oh no and she's like yeah we thought you were lesbian but like whatever and I was like oh she was like do you want to tell Nana and Grandad shall I tell them and I was like I I don't know and she's like all right well we've discussed it what are we watching tonight do you want to pick or am I picking and then that was that that was the whole conversation and you know my little sister you know she's eight she's a queen and she'll just Mm -hmm. be like every time she calls me she's like do you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend Ooh, (laughs) and it's like not even a thing in our house that's like you know she just is just like you know she teases me just the same as if I were gay (laughs) if I was straight if I was bi and you know every now and again she's like you know Maddie at school asked me out today but you know I already have a girlfriend at the moment and then Jake Jake asked me out but I can't do that because I already have a boyfriend and a girlfriend so I can't be you know I can't have more than one of each and I'm like I'm here single like that's so good (laughs) happy for you so happy for you how was your free today (laughs) could not be me (laughs) so funny but I yeah I think my journey with pride has been a very very fortunate one and I think that is because of the work of a lot of people before me Mm -hmm. and I think that Mm -hmm. acknowledging that during pride is really really important Definitely. And making space for people during Pride. Like I think in Australia, somewhere that is very Americanized, we learn a lot about black pride being like black African, African-American pride and then, you know, mostly white gay pride. But we don't, there's not much emphasis or effort put into looking at First Nations pride and that history. And, I mean, we had an intersection of Reconciliation Week and pride this year that was just kind of just you know Mm. not Mm. many things happened looking at that intersection and I mean we've got so many fucking camp first nations drag queens and performers Mm -hmm. that get overlooked so often like I think especially people have been seeing a lot of Felicia Fox and Jojo Jojo Zaho um and I mean it's so wonderful that they're getting some of that recognition now in the wider queer community. But where was that a few years ago? Where was that this year when we had the Reconciliation Week and Pride Week crossover? Where is the uplifting of young Indigenous people that is coming from, you know, our mainstream white queer venues, not just when 
you know, other Indigenous people or other people of colour are lifting each other up, Mm. I think is something that I this year in Pride have been really trying to use my voice and the platform that I have within this community to try and inspire to happen in years coming. Yeah. Mm. Pride. Happy Pride. Yes. So lovely. And you're only 20, nearly 21. Happy nearly birthday, Gemini season. Gemini season. I can't believe, I literally, everyone was like, your season caused lockdown. I was like, (laughs) The chaos, the chaos (laughs) we ensue. The chaos. Oh, Gemini. So what would you say to your younger self living in Perth or any other young people wanting to be more confident and break into creative industries like you have? I think what I say to my younger self, I would say, I wrote I wrote a letter to myself five years ago, a couple of weeks oh. ago. Like, and like the first letter, the opening line was, "It's not going to be the end of the world that you have to keep your braces on for another year." Which <laughs> I'm going to say that again. It's not going to be the end of the world. I think that in remembering that there isn't—it's as cliche as this sounds. It sounds so wanky, but something that really helped me like have faith in myself specifically at drama school and in the position where I am right now about to enter the in the wider industry of theatre and musical theatre is that there's nobody else like you there's there may be people similar to you but there is no one who is exactly like you and I think that everybody has something special and unique that you can bring to anything that you do and also that there that the white social ideal of beauty isn't actually what beauty is. And I think that there's a lot to be said for owning yourself. And also so much of, I was talking to my housemate the other day actually about how much of where I've gotten to now is just fake it till you make it. And if you tell yourself something enough times, you'll start to believe it. Like I definitely didn't grow up with the body positivity and the radical body acceptance that I have now but I just to the outer wider world I was like yep I love myself and eventually with you know Black Lives Matter happening following people who look like me seeing that there are models and there are performers that are like me grew to be able to see that beauty and that confidence and that intelligence in myself and that even though on the outside I even just in my body, I'm a fat, black, queer woman. Like I am all of those things, but I'm also so much more than that and have so much to offer just within that identity, but also within my sense of humour, which is something that you can't see when you just look at me and that I'm a fucking great singer and that I can move my body in ways that a lot of these skinny bitches can't move their body (laughs) and that I can bring so much to something that somebody else may or may not be able to. And I, yeah, I just think that a lot of people try so hard to be something that they're never going to be. Like I think growing up like with my musical theatre, I was trying so hard to be like all the people that were on the stages. And now I'm like, oh, of course I'm never going to be a white size six ballet dancer because I'm not a white size six ballet dancer and that's okay because I am a black, beautiful, fat performer who is going to bring so much to other things. And there's things that 
that performer is going to be suited to that I'm not suited to and vice versa and the same in the modeling world wow that was such a long-winded sentence I just feel like I've through osmosis gained all of this wisdom and confidence I want everyone to listen to this Honestly, I think I have goosebumps and honestly, I don't think we can express enough just how thankful we are for you to join us today. We wish this could continue, but we've got to sadly end it here. But honestly, just want to thank you for the joy and the wisdom that you've brought to us today. I I feel very privileged to be sitting Mm. in your your company. Oh my God, says you two. When I got the message, I literally screamed. My housemate was like, who's died? Are you okay? I was like, yes, oh my God. podcast bitch yes (laughs) no thank you so much for having me i really love what you both do with this platform and love listening in so yeah thank you so much for having me oh the warm and fuzzies this is sweet (laughs) and also because i'm sure our listeners would love to find more about you where can they reach you and find you on the web ah the main place to catch me is on my instagram which is at milo hartill that's Hartill, H-A-R-T-I-L-L. Or you can just look up Mrs. Fat Bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.